0: Nail salon and grocery store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store.
1: Hello, folks. Uh, belated Happy Easter. Apologies, this episode is coming a day late. I blame the amount of chocolate that was consumed by my family. It's a rubbish excuse, but it's the truth. Um, Welcome along to another episode of my podcast, Soundtrack. And thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us and to hopefully uh, escape in the wonderful conversations that we have with our guests about film and music. And today's one is pretty awesome. In fact, I did the interview quite a while ago and... No real reason why I haven't shared the chat with you yet, but I hope that it's something that I'm able to continue and follow up as you'll hear we talk about in the interview with some more uh, in-depth kind of analysis and chat about my guest's family. Uh, sorry, it's so cryptic, but you'll understand when you listen to this week's episode because our latest guest on Soundtracking is a man whose father, Alfred, blazed a trail for film scoring in Hollywood, while his brother Thomas has been nominated for, check this out, 15 Oscars. Wow. Yep. And his cousin happens to be called Randy, which, when your surname is Newman, means you come from, well, quite the musical dynasty. Imagine Christmas rounded the Newmans. David Newman is also a hugely respected composer who joined me to discuss his work as an adapter and arranger on Steven Spielberg's glorious remake of West Side Story. Before we hear from David, um, a little word from our partner Skillshare who have joined us for this week's podcast. Now, you know that with every episode and every interview that I do for this show, I love learning. I learn so much and it kind of feeds me and makes me even more hungry to fuel my brain from the world of film, music and TV. Well, Skillshare is the world's largest online learning community for creativity. It offers you the inspiration and opportunity to learn new skills, find new ways of putting your talents to use and empowers you to reach your full potential. I've been taken full advantage of a few classes, be that looking at how to maximise on social media for the podcast to script writing and then something a little bit more personal like meditation. There really is an impressive array of opportunities to explore at all levels. The incredible range of classes on offer are a really good way to either tap into something that you already are interested in or find that new side to yourself. There's a real sense of community with all the classes which have a great level of interaction with fellow members and teachers. Now, the commitment to Skillshare is in your hands with monthly, annual or an unlimited plan all on offer. As part of the Soundtracking family, how would you like to start your journey with a one-month free trial? Explore your creativity at skillshare.com forward slash sound and get a month free trial. That's one month free at skillshare.com forward slash sound. And back to David Newman. And if you've listened to this podcast over the last six or so months you will know how much I absolutely adored that film and we've been lucky to have Oscar winning actress Ariana DeBose join us as well as the legendary Steven Spielberg but it's with a cue from David's 2021 version that we'll begin The Dance at the Gym Blues Promenade Oh it's so great to get to talk to you. It's a real real thrill and um, thank you so much for your time honestly
0: sure, of course I love the movie i mean i i I think it's a great i think it's kind of a miracle the movie actually um for what it could have been how many mistakes could have been made with it so yeah
1: yeah i mean i i I was so lucky to have some time with Mr. Spielberg. I got twenty minutes with him, and childhood dreams come true within those twenty minutes of getting to talk to him. But it was so infectious hearing his childlike enthusiasm for not just what he does, but for this film in particular and how important it is to his journey and and him. So it was important to him from hearing him talk, you know, that, that he got it right. And there's so many beautiful subtleties that it's this yeah. beautiful love letter to the original, really, I feel.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a miracle. I can't think of another <laughs> uh, successful I mean uh from Broadway to to a movie um I love the 61 movie I mean mm-hmm. I've conducted the film with live orchestra like 40 times but this is this is something really special it somehow came together in a way where nothing bumps you if you're a big lover of Broadway of this show or of the movie most people know it from the movie but it's diff- you know there's there's definitely different stuff but the essence of it isn't Different, and I do think everybody involved in it. There's a lot of really experienced people involved in it that he's worked with for a long time. I mean, not me, but I'm not that I'm not experienced, but <laughs> um, but nobody tried to insert themselves into it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but here in the states, when you go to high school, you know, ninth through twelfth grade, if you live in a big city. This We all went to public school our age. Um, I'm 67. So that generation up to maybe the late 70s, no one went to private school. Um, you'd always do a show. Mm-hmm. And there would be hundreds of people involved in it. And it would generally be in the spring. Um, it was broken into fall and spring semesters. And, it, you know, you'd work on it for three months. And it was so much fun. It's almost impossible. To describe how much fun it was, it, and and no one's getting paid, it, it, you would just want it never to end. You would you would rehearse it if you could all day. Um, you know, and I've I've told, told this story for me. I was one of the years was West Side Story. I was a rehearsal pianist for you know three months, three hours a day, five days a week. Hmm. This is when I really got to know the Broadway the Broadway show. But there's a feeling about it that is hard to move into something professional Mm. because we're all so cynical in a way, though everybody that does movies really would rather do movies than anything else. So there, there, there is that it's just generally, so it can be so unpleasant. And there was this side of sort of childlike love of this, you know, you have this great cinematographer, great sound people, great, you know, and they, they hired this wonderful young cast. Which is what it should be. It should be as young as possible. <clears throat> after all, it's based on Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. and they're unknowns mostly, so you don't you don't that doesn't bump you too much. And Spielberg, I don't know if you did. You ever see the movie Nineteen Forty One? No, it's, it's the movie. It's the movie he did right after E. T. Do I played? I played violin on E.T. I was a. I did was you? in my twenties. Uh, in my twenties, I was a. I was a professional violinist in la trying to be a conductor but i was that's how i was making my living because um but anyway so i played on 1941 so it's the movie after et and it wasn't very well received and it didn't do very well but there's a dance sequence in it um a very elaborate almost it's not keystone cops but it's it's like a crazy howard hawks ish like really fast dance sequence that is absolutely gorgeously shot. Mm-hmm. And you can see in that, if you look at it, how he knew how to do this. You know, the way all these shots in this movie are, I, I, I mean, he just understood that the, the main thing in West Side Story is the music. The music is um, what we call can't. Are you a classical music person at all?
1: I'm a fan. Fond- I haven't studied it, but I connect with it on you know, an
0: emotional you know what level. I mean, yeah, you, you know what I mean by the canon? Like, there's mm-hmm. there's about 300 pieces that these orchestras play over and over and over again. So it's like it's like one in a million make it into the quote-unquote canon. <laughs> well, West Side Story, this at least the symphonic dances, the one that Bernstein arranged in 1961, a few years after the show, is in the canon. It's literally one in a million, if not one in 10 million shot. If you take all the music written, concert music and opera and everything written from, say, 1750, Mm -hmm. I would say, maybe a little before to now, you know, literally millions of pieces have been written and performed at some point or another. That West Side Story is in the canon. It's a huge deal. So I think he, he understood, I think before the rest of us did that the music had to be not messed around with, not redone, not it, it, or if it, if it was, there had to be a really good motivating reason to, to, to do it. And the choreography changes, but it's not all that different from Jerome Robbins. It doesn't Mm -hmm. look like hip hop or doesn't, it's not rethought that way. It still looks like west side story so what's changed is the 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 screenplay most most of the changes are in the screenplay here and there there are changes in other things but most of it is in the screen is in the screenplay if you ab them you know mm. the the book or the movie and the screenplay and i think he understood that like more either instinctively or cuz we didn't we didn't really talk like overall about there was not a lot of overall talk about what it what it was. It just Maybe? we just sort of started him Well, not with the music. He had already gotten together with Janine Tassori, who had done the um did all the vocal stuff. She was on at the earliest. And because she was on it for casting and choosing, you know, making sure they could sing and all that yeah. stuff. She's worked a lot with Tony with Kushner. So we were brought on Maybe a uh, six months, nine months later, but it, it wasn't like, I don't get the feeling that's how they worked really, at least with us, with the, with the music. They were just sort of picking stuff and then throwing it to us to make it work, you know, whatever it is that they needed. And so I would maybe change something and, you know, mock it up and send it. And it just, if you changed anything too much, it just didn't. It didn't work. It, it's like changing Beethoven. Or it, I'm not, quite <laughs> Beethoven, but it's you would never do that. And
1: yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You
0: would never take a Beethoven symphony just in in principle, right? Or maybe second tier. Say like you've got your first tier, second tier canon. You know, say maybe Prokofia for Shostakovich. Whatever. You would never change the music. You wouldn't rearrange it. Re up. You know, this is not what you would do. And. The closest analogy for me, which I keep saying in these when I talk to people, is: Are you much of an opera person at all? A
1: a little bit, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm a huge opera freak. (laughs) The the world is opera freaks and people that hate it generally. But in (laughs) opera, it's the same thing. You know, a Puccini opera, Bohem will be done a million times in a million places, year after year after year after year. Right? Mm -hmm. The music doesn't change. The text doesn't change um, because there's no librettist to change the text. So the original composer isn't there. With Us for Wesley's story, it's Sondheim's there. So whatever lyric changes there are are completely valid because an original author was there. But let's say Sondheim wasn't there. You know, they'd be really careful about messing around with lyrics. I mean, who's going to change the lyric, right? Mm-hmm. But in opera, the production... It might be set on Mars, Bohem, or, you know, in a dungeon or in an insane asylum or in 19th century France where it was originally intended. That's just completely up for grabs. And I think somehow, this is how websites are sort of gravitated to this. The most you could push it was in the book. And they did it so carefully in this completely batshit crazy (laughs) time we live in, excuse my language, my God is it brought with danger to do this now. Just in in, in telling the story correctly in in the world that we live in now, it it would be bad enough anytime because it's upgrading something that's just this canonical thing. Mm. But to do it now, and it feels completely to me Organic, and most of the people I talked to who loved the show and loved the movie and were very cynical about would this work or not have had the same reaction I had you know after working on it so long and stopping and then seeing it finally all together so that that's sort of in a nutshell's my reaction to it. <laughs>
1: I was so emotional when I came out of the cinema from seeing it the first time, and and I know the film version so well that I can sing all the different like instrument parts, and I yeah. know the dance re- I'm in the I'm in my seat. I know the dance moves in the dance hall seat, you know all that stuff, and and where the clicks come and all that kind of thing. And I felt so beautifully entertained, and I felt so emotional when I came out of just how wonderful it was. It was familiar but it was also fresh it had right. these beautiful subtle changes and additions and instrumentation shifts on it that it made it feel new
0: yeah it's like dial it's sort of a dialectic it it it's it's old it it references what it what it was and is mm And it's new. So, like, somebody that's... Like, I'm really familiar with West Side Story, too. The movie and the show. I music-directed the show in my 20s when I was playing violin and stuff. Um, You know, I spent a whole summer rehearsing it, conducting it. We had a really good, you know, we had a, you know, professional orchestra. And it was like... I had the same thing. It's like, it's really entertaining. Mm -hmm. You can't A, B it. It's not the same. (laughs) But it doesn't... Somehow doesn't feel different. It, it, It feels, to me more motivated it's clear why that you would yeah. be a jet sharper. it's clear it's sharper and the the thing with the gun uh, there 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 are a lot of little touches the way the quintet was done the, the sound the uh, you know the dubbing in the the New York film, you know the sound of the orchestra it's definitely the best recording of West Side Story there is out mm. there now there's no question in my mind i you know i i don't say that lightly either because I'm not one to to hmm. hyperbolize about stuff like that, but that is a that is the best orchestra for playing West Side Story, the New York Philharmonic, for obviously that's who that's who Bernstein was the music director of right after West Side Story, and so he taught them to play it, and and then they've been playing it ever since, and it, mm. it's just in their it's in their, it's blood. In their
1: blood, yeah, it's yeah. in their DNA totally. And it's not it's
0: not just you know it's better microphone, it's better technology now than it was. 61. It's also, it's, it, there's this thing in, in concert music where it's like athletes, like Olympic athletes, every generation, just things that were impossible to play become very easy to play. In the turn of the 20th century, when Stravinsky wrote The Rite of Spring, it, the, the, the reviews, it, it, it was almost unplayable by any orchestra. So now any, any college orchestra can play The Rite of Spring. So, West Side Story is now; it's very difficult to play, but now it's playable, where yeah. it wasn't as playable in the '60s. But also the feel in it—they—they they got not just clear, good recording quality, and all the notes are there, and you know, da 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 da. da. But there's a feel that they have mm-hmm. for for all of it, which I think takes it to the to to another level where it belongs. Yeah, and I think. Quite honestly, this is the movie that West Side Story kind of deserves in a way, at least for our generation. Yeah. So I don't know. That is hyperbolic, but I I really (laughs) kind of think that.
1: the people trying. I like the island Manhattan. I know you do. Smoke on your pine
0: and put that in. I like to be in America. Okay, by me in America. Everything free in America. For a small fee in America.
1: One look at us and they charge twice.
0: I have my own washing machine. What do you have though, to keep clean? Skyscrapers blooming America. Carry like in America. Industry booming America. 12 in, in America.
1: Did you get the call? Did you get a kind of, you know, and I love that history that you have with being part of. The orchestra for his scores we you know way back that's a beautiful story you know you're you're part of that history you're part of that connection that we have with them the music that is so part of it's so important to the narrative and the storytelling of his films yes. but did you just get a call and go so um do you want to do west side story or, or how did it work
0: you know I, I i was desperate to be a conductor and in my 20s and i was I was making a living playing violin in LA. There was just tons of work, you know, tons of television, film work, a lot of subbing, you know, a lot of classical work, but mostly film and television, which could make a really good living. And I was studying, conducting obsessively, like, mm-hmm. you know, two, three lessons a week and trying to, you know, conducting here and there, but it just wasn't going anywhere. And so then I, but, but I played on a lot of John Williams scores, a lot of Jerry Goldsmith's. I mean, I played on hundreds of scores Yeah. and I kind of, you know, and then I, and then I decided I want, I, I just decided, you know, the it's, it's not going to work the conducting for me. So um, even though I learned and I'm, you know, I learned how to do it. And so then I decided I want to write film music. So I started writing film music and then around night, you know, I got married and then I started, you know, and I've done like over a hundred film scores. And then, and then I started conducting again at the Hollywood <laughs> bowl and, Los Angeles film stuff, you know, cause it made sense me conducting film stuff. And so I kept conducting there every year. And then in 2011, I started doing the live ver- the West Side Story movie film with live version. And that's when all that stuff really kicked off and about between 2009 to 11, it really got like every orchestra was doing some film with live orchestra. So yeah. I premiered it at the Hollywood Bowl, then I went right to New York and did it with the New York Philharmonic. And we did a we did a concert with the New York Philharmonic the first night. And I think twenty of the people that were in the film, uh Rita didn't come, but everybody like it was um George Takiris was there and Russ Tamlin was there. Marty Nixon was there. Sid Raymond and a bunch of the Jets. And they were all just sitting in the audience. And we thought, ah, let's, let's, uh, let's introduce them, you know? So uh, after oh, wow. intermission, I, I, I had a list of about 20 names and I read them all and the place went like, sorry, like what we would say here, ape shit. <laughs> Stop for 20, stop for 25 minutes, people screaming and rushing up to especially Russ and, and George to the point where the, the other performances would they had to put, put them up in the balcony so they wouldn't get, you know, they wouldn't get rushed. But it started to become like apparent to us that this was something like that people wanted in this world, this concert mm-hmm. world. So I started doing a lot, and a lot of the movies I do are John Williams movies. Um, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Trek, you know, all that stuff. And I started to become friendly with John. Um, and he started asking me to kind of split some concerts at Tanglewood and some at the Bowl, just because he didn't, you know, he didn't want to do the whole thing as life progresses, et cetera. Yeah. And, um, he, he, he told Spielberg to use me. That that's uh, it, it, there was no there was n- nobody was calling me. Look, I would never it, mm-hmm. if it wasn't West Side Story, or if it wasn't John that did that. I, I look West Side Story. I get me doing. I am not an orchestrator or an arranger of other people's music. It's not what I'm interested in. I'm not. It's not an expertise of mine. I would never want to orchestrate a Broadway show or, or do anything like that unless it was my show. Mm-hmm this is something different you know john asked me it's one of my seminal moments as a human being slash whatever the fuck i am an artist or whatever and and i know it and i knew where to go get it and i could deal with the all the crazy in it uh, there's a lot of crazy because of all the estates that were involved in it, you know the Bernstein estate, the son—well, Sondheim was alive, so not as a estate—but the Arthur Lawrence estate and the Jerome Robbins estate. They—they they all were part of it, and I had to deal with the Leonard Bernstein estate. And it's not—it's not really a typical arranging, orchestrating job. It's like a job. I know where to go get stuff that that that's needed there's a lot of patching and things that go in here. you know the choreography gets longer like the dance in the gym is like four times longer hmm. in this movie even than in the in the sixty one movie. um the mambo's much longer the hmm. the the i the only thing I did do is the arrangement of um somewhere is my arrangement there's a place for us. Somewhere, a place for us, peace and quiet, and open
1: air. Wait for
0: It's not even really my arrangement. It's a combination of me, Janine, and the Broadway the Broadway, um, thing. But I'm the one that put... I, t- so you know what I mean? I got to go and get everything that everybody needs and mash it together and try to make it seamless so it doesn't bump anybody like yourself or me that really knows and loves this stuff and is really familiar with it. I didn't want anyone to feel like, what was that? You know, what was that? Mm. Nobody, like I said before, nobody instinctively, this was never said, nobody wanted to insert themselves, them, their own self in it. It's all about the love of this wonderful work of art and, and making the best thing that could possibly, you know, that one could possibly do, mm. which he unbelievably succeeded in. I mean, what are the chances of like doing that? And then COVID, you know, in the middle of this thing, COVID happens, mm. and then you know it gets all screwy when the movie's released. You know, not enough people can see it in the theater because of the crazy world yeah, restrictions live and stuff. But it yeah, will live, that movie will live. Oh, totally, forever, forever. I mean, and and I wish people could see it in a theater because it's a real movie. And I think there are very going to be very few real movies in the future. That's another discussion. I think movies are in an existential crisis because it's all going to go streaming i don't think movies work in my opinion i don't think movies work as well streaming as episodic stuff does Mm. like a movie like west side story won't be as effective in a streaming at least i don't think it will i haven't seen it streamed so
1: yeah i almost Um, kind of want to over the years i want to sort of almost give myself a kind of a West Side Story bingo card and see it in all these amazing theaters around the world, you know, and kind yeah. of experience it in, in different places and in different, because I feel as well that the more, the more I see it, the more I'll discover from yeah. all the, the little nuances that you've all put together. The casting in this film as yeah. well is,
0: oh, it's yeah. so
1: good. Oh.
0: Those guys killed, we killed being in that movie. You know what I mean? I mean, they're, they're young. It's like, it's like a high school musical audition. I, I I don't know how to describe it. That high school musical feeling is the most pure art that probably those of us that have been involved in it will ever, will ever feel. Yeah. Because there is no agenda. It's just I love this. I just want to be there, <laughs> even if I'm just sitting around watching, or in the orchestra, or in the chorus, or doing sets, or and then all the people that you meet in the parties and the hookups and the, the the whole friggin' theatrical world of it all. It's completely pure. There's no mm-hmm. money involved. There's no nothing involved. I thought I got that feeling from the beginning that that's what this. Was this, this is my own opinion. It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't a, dis, you know, nobody was sitting down and saying, this is what we're doing. It just was instinctively, I mean, maybe Tony and Steven and Jenny, I, I don't know what they talked about in pre production. I'm sure they did, you know, really thought it through. But in terms of this sort of, you know, 50,000 foot overview of what this is, I think this just, Developed. I know steven talked a lot about love, uh, um, and, and that's kind of what I guess I feel about what you know. Um, love. I mean, uh, uh, come on. It, you know, you think, oh, sure, yeah, it's it's coming from love, but it, it actually does. It's
1: true. I watched an interview. Um, I think it was. At, it must have been at the LA premiere. I think I watched some of the the kind of uh, red carpet interviews, and Stephen was being interviewed, and um, Ariana Debose was with him. And she spent the whole time almost just gazing at Stephen, but in a way that wasn't kind of it was proud. It was pride, you know, kind of. It was almost like a mother looking at a child. It was kind of yeah. almost a weird role reversal, almost in a way. Yeah. And it was just so interesting to see and and hear just how, like you say, that it was you're part of a, the team on this, yeah. and you're yeah. all in this together, and yeah. you're all in this for the right reasons.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, that's the best thing about movies. Mm. The, here's the other thing. First of all, Spielberg is the greatest dubbing director probably of all time. <laughs> dubbing, mixing the film, right? He knows how to use music. So all the sound in it, everything that you hear in the mm-hmm. movie is all delineating and helping musical phrases and the, the lyric but the music as well. All the camera moves, hmm. if you watch them, are phrased with the music. It, it, you know, the music go, you know, in a few, uh, four bars or eight bars or whatever the phrase, you know, is. And this is a really complicated structural score. Yeah. There, there's nothing like it. It didn't spawn. Maybe it spawned Sondheim a bit, but Sondheim a different animal, you know, and yeah. then, Bernstein. It's just, it's a different aesthetic. Sondheim to me is a god, but, Steven, like, they just understand music. Yeah. And so this being a musical, it just, it, it, it's fine. You can use the music to do it. And so that everything about it is about the, is about the music, which is the compelling force that tells the story. And there's everything in it. There's vaudeville. There's patter songs. There's a fugue with a counter subject. There's opera. There's there's a longing song. There there are all these like tropes in it that are all mashed together, and it doesn't sound. And it's obviously eclectic. That's the definition yeah. of eclectic. But it doesn't it doesn't sound eclectic. Forced, it yeah. sounds like Bernstein. Yeah. When you're a Jet, you're a Jet, all the way from your first cigarette to your last iron day. When you're a Jet, if the spit hits the fan, you got brothers around, you're a family man. You're never alone, you're never disconnected, you're home with your own. own. When company's expected, you're well protected, then you... With the capital J, which you'll never forget till they caught you away when you're a jet. You stay the the other thing I kept thinking about that was like this is I think like Bach, the composer, at the end of his life did this where he wrote pieces with every known style and mashed it all together. Believe it or not, in my opinion, the other really salient group that did that is was of, of, of all things the Beatles <laughs> with George Martin because they used, I don't know that they did it on purpose really, but they were so open to anything. They used you know modern music and classical music and broke music and you know um, world music and and Eastern yeah Mm. and and just mash it together and the Beatles always sound like the Beatles (laughs) but of course it spawned the Beatles spawned basically nothing there's nobody like the Beatles and I think West Side Story didn't really it's kind of a one off in a way I can't think of anything that's that's like it. So I, I, hence it's canonical nature that it's canon. So it's, you know, it's almost like whatever that was, that's the best it could be done. So who would want to do it again or try to do that or something? And I do think, I do think Sondheim as a young man, I think he was 25, 26. I think that really influenced him for obviously for the good. I mean, his output is, completely stunning it's just it's just a really different um and he's very eclectic too i mean even like a a show like Follies is like an encyclopedia of you know american song um and british british song uh and Sweeney Todd's a very orchestral thing too, but it's and it does you know Sweeney Todd does use the ira throughout as a structural thing, but there's just nothing like west side story and the, and to have the guts to make it into a movie and to actually make it to my mind, I don't know if better is the right word, but another step or mm-hmm. it, it, it's like you can watch it again and it's interesting because you, there's things that are different, but it doesn't bump you out of the six, you know, you can still love the 61 movie and the, you know, but there may be things in the, this movie that are, that work better and maybe, uh, yeah, whatever.
1: Was it because I was listening to the, um, to the, the soundtrack in the car the other day, and I, you know, I think really the car is always a really great place. I think for it's a good sound system, you can have it blasted up there and sing your heart's content. And no one's going to have an opinion, um, so I love driving around and singing my heart out. And I, I really, it was lovely actually because I really, I really noticed the shifts in instrumentation here and there, and just kind of really, but really subtly, like you say, like it's not kind of you don't want to change it, but. But it does need to be. It, it needs to work in correlation with what's been tweaked and adapted within the screenplay, with the, in the choreography. Like you see, the length of the, the 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 scene. Oh, it's it's just such a joy to listen to as well, and and it just puts emphasis on 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 other things. And you, yeah, and just kind of almost kind of emphasizes emotion. I think in a way that I hadn't really. No, I,
0: I, 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 agree. I mean, I that that's why normally, like, I wouldn't. No one, I wouldn't do this because it's not my, my wheelhouse. But this was working with the Bernstein Estate, and me, and Janine, and Sean Murphy, and Dave Channing, and the whole team, and Matt we just sort of came to this thing and a lot of it was like you, a lot of it was in post-production too. what I needed to patch or band-aid up. And, you know, mm-hmm. they would make some edit in the cutting room and they make a bad edit. And so we'd have to figure out what to do. I'd have to, you know, so I'd mock some things up because that's what we do when we're writing mm-hmm. is, you know, I mock, you, you mock it up and send it to the cutting room and blah, blah, you know, and and you, you go through the process. But the whole idea was just to, to, to not to grab from, you know, we have the Broadway show, the movie, which we stayed away from the movie a bit, but there's quite a bit from the movie. But the movie was orchestrated by the same people that orchestrated the show. Because the movie's only four years after the show, three, mm-hmm. three and a half, four years. And so we would just grab what we what we needed and and then, you know, and then there's some underscore. And here's the other thing: is when you're doing Okay, so music is generally the post production. You know, you've got your pre production, production, post production, like act one, act two, act three. everything seems to be in threes and in art for some <laughs> reason. So in post production, the movie shot. I mean, we did obviously have to do pre production because we had to record everything. So I was involved in pre production in getting the music ready. But then, okay, the music's done. They go. They shoot it for months. They come back, they start cutting the film together. And, you know, they make, like I said, an edit. And then you do this and this. But little by little, the film starts to like coalesce. And like you said, it's a big, it's a big collaborative procedure, a movie. And it starts off being collaborative with people, with the director, with whoever's in, whoever's in charge of a movie. It's not always the director, but mainly it's the director. Whoever's in charge, you collaborate with. You know, you you send it to them. They say, da-da-da-da-da, send it back. You do-da-da, and you go back and forth, right? But a good director will eventually understand that the film now is at a place that it's almost sentient. Mm -hmm. And you have to give the film what it needs. So you really have to collaborate with a medium. You're not collaborating anymore with a human being per se, Mm -hmm. though an inexperienced director will keep trying to, like do this to something that might not work and even a good one will and then but they'll eventually figure out they need to give the film what the film needs so eventually it's clear you try something it it doesn't this is what if they say it doesn't work it doesn't work oh it's fantastic there's no <laughs> in between either it doesn't work it doesn't work or it's the greatest thing ever <laughs> this is the language of post you know, of a lot of music post production. In, in my experience, and like I said, I've done a lot of movies. A great filmmaker, a great dubbing team that's doing the re-recording, that's doing all the mixing, an editor, all those people that are involved in post production. They really instinctively or aesthetically, or well, I don't know what the word is, they they explicitly understand understand this. It's very weird because. Not only do you have to technically synchronize with it, you have to really collaborate with a medium. And this is a, this is a brand new thing that started in 1930. Before 1930, there was no talking film business. Can you imagine living where there's no talking film and then one year and everyone's going to the movies? It's like obsessive, right? And all of a sudden, they're friggin talking, and there's music on it and and all kinds of different things the The disruption that that is trying to understand what the art form of that is what how do you handle that? I think visually it was mature, but sound wise it was like in the dark ages, you know that's where my father was involved, and my father was Alfred Newman, he was involved in nineteen thirty he arrived in 1930 and Max Steiner arrived in 1930. And with him, Max Steiner, Waxman, Dmitry Tjompkin, Korngold, in about nine years, they sort of figured out what became this kind of, what they call the golden age of, of, um, uh, of film music. It's just that old fashioned kind of a thing. So like by 1939, you have. You have gone with the wind and wizard of oz and da, 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 da. And it's, it, it, that sounds like movie scores to us. I mean, from that era, you know, but 1930, they, they, they didn't, but they eventually people learned how this works, you know, and how, how pre-production works, how production works and how post-production works. And they had to figure out how to collaborate with something that you, you just can't force it. To be something that it isn't. I mean, it's just apparent to everyone and to your audience generally that if you try to do something that's counterproductive to the film itself, no matter how much you want to, it doesn't work.
1: Just kind of talking about you when we mentioned earlier about the we were talking about, you know, it's in it's in their DNA sort of thing. This whole world is in your DNA. And I just, you know, I wondered if kind of growing up in in, in that world with with the amazing work that your that your father did and stuff you know and how important he was to how we view film now, you know in terms of what film what film is really and how important music is to film, your dad was right yeah. there at the start of it, and the create- you know part of that creator team really it's in your DNA you know it's kind of was there was there ever any other choice for you in terms of this being either part of your world or you know, be in oh. your world.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Um, my dad, you're right, Alfred Newman. They they created what they, they, the the problem with film originally was the the producer. It was producers that were doing everything in the 30s. It was Goldwyn or Zanuck or or you know um, Warner or, or you know Louis B. Mayer they just they didn't understand where's the music coming from why should there be music you know okay let's have an overture and an end title but unless there's a band playing or unless it's what we call diegetic why are we having music so they experimented with having no music having a lot of music that didn't really didn't really get in the way it was just kind of background like you know stuff and they kept pushing these guys my dad waxman steiner for what what they called would be commentative music which would mean what we would think of as thematic film music where it is it is going part and parcel with a scene and and in a way commenting on the scene in whatever way that the composer could figure out how to do it but there would be music while people were talking which there never would be originally there was hardly any cues when people were talking and little by little, they figured they figured it out. You know, they used a Wagnerian concept of theme and a sort of Italianate, songful, arioso vocal style of melody which is basically what they did. I mean, to us now, it's not; it doesn't seem like rocket science. But it was—you could see them struggling by just watching the films or reading what they what they what they wrote. But by the time, like we were born my my brother and i are like 18 months apart my brother thomas you know who's a great film composer has been nominated 13 times for academy award eh, we got we lived in the west side of los angeles where all the like hollywood kids lived we all went to public school it was just it was a paradise in our school, there were, you know, several music teachers. There was an orchestra. There was art. It was, it was like everything that you could want for your kid in a public school. There were four thousand kids in the school, so it wasn't like a private school with, you know, a hundred. It, it, nobody went to private school, which is it's completely opposite now. Yeah, you know, we did music. I did sports all through high school. I started studying violin at age seven, Tom, two, my brother, two, piano at age 11, all the theory, college level theory, basically, when we were 12, all private, you know, so yeah, we're upper middle class and, you know, privileged white people, but there was never any pressure to do anything. And quite frankly, we didn't even know really, uh, we knew my father won a lot of Academy Awards but tom tom wanted to do musical theater like i said i wanted to be a conductor i was desperate to be a conductor and then my cousin randy randy newman who did um the natural and all the toy story movies you know mm-hmm. he was a he's a big he was a big songwriter you know recording artist he he wasn't doing movies he did you know but we all my dad died in 1970 so i wasn't even done with high school yet nor was tom randy was, was a generation later but we Tom eventually drifted into it, you know, in his 20s. And I drifted into it in my, you know, late 20s and Randy drifted into it. So it's it's kind of like a siren call because it's so much fun and you get to hear your stuff so quickly. And so I suppose you can make a case for DNA, though. I don't really think (laughs) it's a genetic thing. I think it's we're just exposed to it. And we have know enough people that you can get started. Also, you know, my mom, you know, we are really well trained. I don't ever remember not knowing how to read music. You know, like I said, we had we had an orchestra class in first grade with 30 kids. We could hardly play. But you sit in an orchestra long enough, even if you can't play and you learn how to read music. Yeah. So and then we were you know, so if you're a really trained musician, you can pretty much figure out if you got the guts and uh, the talent, or even if you don't have the talent, it, you can figure out how to do stuff. But eventually, I am obsessed with my father. Now I'm obsessed with what he accomplished. Um I mean, I could go on and on. It's a long story. It's probably be something to talk about if you ever wanted to talk about the Fox Music System, where John Love Williams King. came out of, and Goldsmith. Yeah, I mean, I, that is that is an amazing story. Uh So the older I get, the more. Impressed. I think the Fox Orchestra was one of the finest orchestra, probably that, at least in recorded history that's ever been. Certainly for a certain kind of playing, I think he's amazing, or was was uh, uh, amazing.
1: Even taking a snapshot snapshot of some of the, you know, the, the the iconic films that you know. When we talk about films that people still watch, you know, we talk about West Side, the new West Side version of West Side Story being a film that people will be watching in years and years to come. And you, you know, and it's wonderful to think about your, your dad's legacy with, with the music that he's, he's worked on even things like, you know, seven year itch and all about Eve and how the West was one. I mean, you know, just a, just a couple from those as well. And it's, it's just must be wonderful to, for his work to still have this
0: life. Yeah. All all about Eve is one of my favorite scores. And if I talk to film music classes, I tend to try to um, play the first 15 minutes of all about Eve and I have I have the score and if they if it's that kind of class and then I play the last 10 minutes of the film because it's a two- hour film with about 37 minutes of music in it but it's it's there's a lot at the beginning and a lot at the at the end. There's so much composer craft in it. I don't think my father would have. My father didn't start composing till he was came to Hollywood. So until he was 30, he was a conductor in his 20s in Broadway. He's conducting Gershwin and Cole Porter and all that, and having a great time. <laughs> and then, the, and then the, the, that's where they got all the the music people, the studios. Once there was sound, they just got them from Broadway. They get, they got whoever was the most famous music directors. That's who they they pulled. But all about Eve, I mean, I've taken a very deep dive into all about Eve. I mean, you can you can go into it for, you know, in into the weeds and that thing in terms of what a film score can actually do. And and my thing about it is that is trying to show people that it's an art form and how it's an art form. It's not a concert music art form, it's a different sort of art form. Mm. And it has different procedures. And it has a different sort. Of, it has a different sort of way of playing. And I think my father, now my father's music now would sound anachronistic. But the concept of what film music is and does, and the art of it, is is very clearly defined by that era, as to what it can do. In the hands of like John Williams' score for um, E.T., which I've done a bunch. I've talked about this. There's a there's a cue in it are you familiar with E.T.? Yes. <laughs> okay, but you know, you know when she's you know when she's reading the Gertie uh, the Peter Pan story? Yeah. Which obviously Spielberg loves Peter Pan because he's made a movie yeah. about it. And they're in the, you know, in closets, uh, Elliot and the in the E.T. And it's got that beautiful harp melody, which you've heard before. And this melody is playing, right? And it's this bucolic, beautiful, I can't think of a harp solo in any film score ever that's like this. And then the camera starts to pan out. You know, he Elliot puts his arm around in this beautiful gesture. The camera just slowly pulls out and you see a van. And then you, of course, these shadowy adult figures that are all through the film that you don't know. Are they good, benevolent? Are they? What are they doing there, right? And John uses a flute to play this theme that he had set up at the beginning of the movie. That was the theme for these guys. That it's not a, it's not like a really, you know, dark, nasty theme. It's, it's a, it's a, from a kid's point of view, scary, but kind of fun, scary, but it's still scary. And, and he uses it in a completely different instrument in a low register of a flute mm-hmm. that has this quality of, pastoral bucolic or something but it's playing that music while that harp is going and you don't even notice it but as the camera passes by and you don't see really you just hear these voices off stage to me that's the art of it It, it, it's it's learning how to collaborate as i said with a medium it's if there's nothing, there's no analog for this. That, that when you do an opera or even a melodrama, there are people on stage that are, are, can collaborate with you. Mm. They can go faster, slower, sing faster, you know, whatever. This is immutable. This film is not, this film is going to be exactly the same every time you look at it and do it. So you have to collaborate with it.
1: Such no one's I've never heard anybody, I mean, people have talked about how. You're not facilitating your ego your um your your talent you're facilitating the film is kind of is how I've heard people and on this podcast describe it in the past, but no one's described it in that way, and it's so true and it's it's so lovely to see to think of this film as a kind of living breathing thing as well you know that's kind of that's the beauty of it isn't it
0: It's just when you do music you just you watch them edit the film. And you can see the mistakes they make, or, you know, okay, it's, it's, it's everybody's opinion, right? But there are things that are just wrong. You know, they're wrong. And you know why they're doing it. They're doing it because they're obsessed with, they love this scene, this dialogue, this piece of dialogue. It's just, I love it. I, it has to be in there. And you can see it doesn't help. And in some ways, maybe it, it, it hurts, you know? And, and, um, who's the director that said it's like, um, Maybe it's Brahms that said it. it's like um, you have to kill your baby or something. It, it's it's just some awful thing that I, I'm not that – don't – that's not uh, – Yeah, no. <laughs> you have to be willing to sacrifice something you might love because the film demands that you sacrifice it. If you're interested in this kind of aesthetic. I, I think about it like John Williams never liked, like – doesn't like to read scripts – because reading a, a film screenplay is is a futile activity. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as it gets, the first thing they do is they'll cast it, and immediately it changes. Then they'll go location scout. Then it changes again. Then they st- they get a DP and they light it, and they get they dress the set, and, and it changes again. And then you've got actors and that are on the set doing stuff, and it changes again, and it changes again, and it changes again, and in a sense, very few films you can go from script to end. And even the script even seems r- remotely like what. Yeah. It is. once in a while, once in a while it is. And with certain directors, maybe it is. And I know Sp- Steven storyboards everything like Hitchcock probably looked a lot like the script, yeah. but mostly it's this weird, chaotic improvisational thing. And then when you start editing it, You just cannot believe how different you can make a scene editing it, right? And then with music, just think about this. We have this thing called spotting, right? Mm -hmm. It's where the music starts and where the music stops, okay? So right away, there's no music, no music, music. So it doesn't even matter what the music is. There is a musical tone or musical instrument that the audience immediately recognizes is music. It's not sound. It's not diegetic. It's not coming from anywhere. It's music. It's a comment. Then it doesn't, it doesn't even matter what the music is. There's music and then it stops. And when it stops, it's the same thing. This is also really a weird thing that only happens. Well, I guess it could I guess you could say in melodrama or a play, you could say that too. But generally in melodrama and then, you know, theatrical performances on Broadway or the West End, there's generally music, but it kind of leads into a scene and it's it's there's generally not music while they're talking, you know? So when when you watch in post production these guys edit these films, you can just see you it it's really clear. Most of us doing music were right at the end. So we can see it generally from the beginning to the end. You get all kinds of, they send you the cut and you you keep watching it. And you just sort of learn this, that some guys or, or girls or directors are really good at it. And some just fight to the bitter end to either change it or or keep what they love, or for us shove music into it that 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 hurts rather than helps, or put a song in somewhere that doesn't belong, or put a song that a song belongs but it's the wrong song, and to, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that that's where that comes yeah. from, I think. That's, that's my view of, of of it.
1: I could genuinely talk to you for days. Yeah, it's it's so brilliant to get to chat to you. And um, just before you go, I, I just wanted to ask what your how you felt watching the film completed for the first time, considering you have such a relationship with the story, you know, in terms of the various forms that you've been involved in, in celebrating its music and it's, it's, it's artistic quality, but what was your, you know, and having worked on it, but what was your reaction watching it as a, as an audience? Yeah.
0: I was completely, utterly, Blown away by. It. I don't know how. I I thought it was a. I thought it was a miracle. We had seen parts of the film, but none of us. It was. He doesn't like to sit down and play the whole film and spot it. And it, it just was. We did. It was all done in pieces. It was piecemeal, You know. We had done all the pre-recording, which is you know ninety minutes of the m- movie. But to to none of us. So we all sat down. The mu- he, they, they screened it for the music team at, at Fox and. <laughs> I don't know, last year in August or September or something like that. I had the same reaction, what you described. I thought this just feels, how did he do this? Like (laughs) it's so, it's so entertaining and interesting, but it's not bumping me from any of the other stuff, you know? Like I knew, you know, I would, we had recorded it all. So I knew what was coming, but (laughs) seeing it all put together, it was, it's a, it's a, it's, it, it's a miracle. I really cannot think of another movie like this. I thought Fiddler on the Roof was a good make of, but it's a lot different, Fiddler on the Roof, the movie, than the show. Um, we stuck, we stuck really close as much as we could to the Broadway show in terms of the music for yeah. this. Do you know why? Well, do you know the story about the 61 film, the Bernstein and the Sondheims, and their reaction to it? Oh, you have to look this up. Okay. Look up, look Google Johnny Green West Side Story Leonard Bernstein. You can read the story. It's great. They friggin' hated that movie. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so first of all, it's so weird because Bernstein was famous, but when West Side Story came out in 61, now he was famous instantly all over the world as mm-hmm. only a movie can can do i would say 90% of people who know west side story know it from the movie and not the broadway show but if you've seen the broadway show it's 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 a almost a blank stage with a little bit of scaffolding just cuz there's so much dancing there's not room for a bunch of sets it's sweaty it's claustrophobic it's Hot summer, you know, and the movie starts like the sixty one movie starts like the Sound of Music started two years later, with that big dolly into to the to the um the playground. Yeah, I mean, I love the movie, but they couldn't stand it. Bernstein had done in nineteen fifty four on the waterfront.
1: Yeah, because a
0: movie which is more, I think. That's more of the style I thought. I think they thought West Side Story was going to be. Well, that feels like what Stevens
1: taken as a as a kind of inspiration, really. I feel.
0: Yeah, everything's more oriented towards the show, the Broadway show. Yeah, but it doesn't mean it's not the Broadway. I mean, it's a big widescreen movie. (laughs) Uh, It's not. But he get the like. I got all choked up when I first saw the West Side Story title. It just was the color was just a perfect indication of what the film is was going to be, or I I just, when I saw that West Side Story title, I I thought, Jesus Christ, how could a title (laughs) evoke an emotion like that? I don't know if you felt that at all when you saw the title, but I, I like freaked out.
1: (laughs) I I, I think maybe because of when I spoke to him, it was really great hearing him talk about, you know, his relationship with West Side Story and the fact that his, mom and dad used to put the record on before he'd seen anything. He was so familiar with the music and it was so kind of effective over him. And, and so that's really interesting. I think as well, in terms of, of, of what you're saying. I
0: listen. that's how I listen to it. Uh, I mean, Stephen's older, a generation older, but I listened to it with my father when I was like seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. It's one of the only things I remember about doing anything with my father. Cause he would sleep till 11, a. you know, he kept New York theater hours his whole life. He would stay up all, you know, the, mm-hmm. he, he'd go to bed at, at three or four in the morning and get up at 11. So our lives were completely,
1: <laughs> yeah. he, was,
0: he was kind of grumpy and there were five of us. So it was okay with us. I mean, we didn't <laughs> want to get yelled at for being too loud, you know, but that's, that's how, that's, that, I had a very similar experience. I remember that phone. I remember listening to Larry Kurt. Saying something's coming, um, you know. But look, look up this story. I'm It's, gonna, great. it's, it's, it's a. That's it, what it, I'm going to read. Go to bed tonight. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, that, this is this is why they wanted to remake the film. They've been thinking about this for a long time. They just, mm. they're just. I think was nobody that they would trust, and then somebody came up with trying to convince Spielberg to do it. And I don't think it was that easy to convince him. I think his wife really loves it. Kate mm. loves. West Side Story. I know he loves it. It's just that can you? I mean, scary. Geez, what a task. That's totally scary. Yeah. And if you're somebody like him, where every thing you do is going to be historicized and is going to be written about when you're dead, scrutinized and, 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 and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's this could have been a colossal failure. You, you all know, smashed it. Of, well, I appreciate it. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. if you ever want to talk about my dad, I will talk about it endlessly. So I very uh, much enjoy talking.
1: David, that would be wonderful. It would be really lovely to do an episode me- celebrating your dad and, and talking about, you know, a-, a number of things. About- yeah.
0: yeah you know, and, and if you want, I'll, I'll, we can, we can, I don't know what kind of audience you have, but, um, We you could play a few we could you could play a few clips you know uh, I don't know if you can do that but
1: um, yeah no we 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 do and we also put up a because we we're kind of limited to being able to play very small excerpts of music within the podcast but what we do is we make playlists for the show after so that people can listen to the music in its entirety on you know official kind of streaming sites and things but. That would be amazing. I'll yeah, drop your team yeah, no, an email and we'll try and sort absolutely. something out. Okay. Great. Thank you so much, great, sir.
0: Great talking to Edith, and they're so big fans great. of you. The white bear, those White Bear guys are big fans of you.
1: Oh, so. I, well, they, They've been amazing and they yeah, they, they yeah. set me up with getting to chat to you. So thank you so yeah. much. You, you take too. care. Have a great day yeah. and huge you congratulations. Too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. From the score to West Side Story, that's finale. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the wonderful David Newman. My huge thanks to David for taking the time to talk to me. I'm definitely going to take him up on his offer to talk more about his dad and maybe we can get into some of the 100-odd films he scored too. Please head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes, including my chats with Mr Spielberg and the fabulous Ariana DeBose. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtrack in UK and
0: please
1: do keep sharing on your socials too. It's really very much appreciated and we kind of rely of word of mouth, to be honest. So thank you in advance. Next up, I'm really excited to share with you, again, another conversation that I did a while ago. Um, it's just been so busy to be able to share it with you but um, this gentleman is, he's a real polymath, he's kind of been so many things, he's a composer he's a singer, he's a multi instrumentalist and he was kind of thrown into the limelight and prominence and success by being uh, one of the co-founders of the band Devo and from that he's gone on to score so many great films, I think some of the ones for me that have been the most memorable would be working with Taika Waititi uh, on Thor Ragnarok, which I just thought was one of the best scores ever. It was so brilliant. He also did Catfish, which I was really impressed with. And bizarrely, I came to, I had to put two and two together when I was, I had my my boys were little when we used to watch this TV show called Yo Gabba Gabba and there's this guy who would pop up and go hey I'm Mark and he would be the most amazing drawer and it was Mark Mothersburg so anyway I digress he's going to be on next week's show Mark Motherberg is our next guest and I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.